0: Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20-minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call, and we can take it from there. Charlie Wyman, welcome to Focus on Why. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? i'm very well and from one podcast host to another it's great to to bring you into this space because i know you have a lot to say i love listening to your podcast episodes and i love hearing what you have to share with the world all around well let's leave it to you to share what it is that you do
1: oh what a question um In a nutshell, I help uh, businesses, uh, specifically technical businesses in the sort of science, tech and engineering space, increase their performance of their marketing uh, to essentially help them get more sales. So yeah, my whole thing is uh, marketing isn't just about adding leads into a business. It's not just about adding revenue. It's about adding profit and generating really valuable sales into the company. So science and tech, why that industry? Uh, Well, I studied uh, engineering, not marketing. I accidentally fell into a marketing role uh, working for an engineering company. And uh, I guess it's kind of, that is my my why, because in the engineering world, there's a lot of cynicism towards sales marketing people. And I didn't like the title of marketer. uh, And I certainly didn't like the title of salesperson either. But that was essentially what I was doing. And what I realized was that In the industry I was working in, and also in in other sort of technical industries, it was never the best companies or the best products or the best services that, that won all the business. It was the companies that were the best at sales and marketing. And that really irritated me because I just think, like my whole thing is all about high performance. Like why settle for second best when you can be the best? And, you know, I've had the privilege of working for companies that, really want to be the best. So it's not just about providing the best products. It's not just about providing the best service. It's about, you know, making sure that the customer gets the right thing for them and that they're looked after and that the values are in alignment and everything works really well. But then what I found was actually that these companies are the best kept secret in their industry. And I found that, um, quite upsetting. So I thought, all right, I'm going to learn more about this marketing thing so I can help the company I was working for at the time uh, be seen as the best, not just being the best. Uh, And then, yeah, so then started my journey into sort of sales and marketing. I ended up as the global head of sales and marketing and then have, you know, gone on to do lots of other things in sales and marketing. So... (laughs)
0: So it's kind of ironic that you you got sort of upset by the better companies not having visibility and not being able to sell. And and now you're sort of helping companies to sell better. But again, you might not know that they might not be the best in their industry, but they're getting better at sales. So essentially, you're almost helping those people that you were annoyed by at the, at the start.
1: Oh, not really. Uh, because I've, I don't know, i am I've been very fortunate that a lot of the companies that have approached me uh directly um have, you know, been very much about getting the right solution in front of the right customer. And I'm quite picky about who I work with. Uh, but saying that, you know, I've had the privilege of working with some incredible companies. And uh yeah, I just think, you know, if they're not going to be the best, or if they don't want to be the best, or they don't want to keep innovating, they don't want to keep developing, and they haven't got the customer in mind when they do. Uh, what they do, then I don't really want to work with them. So uh, I think as far as I'm concerned, I am helping those companies uh, be better than they were yesterday uh, and be better at sales and marketing. And
0: as a consumer, how can you navigate this world of sales and marketing? How can you sort of pick out who is being true to their message and who is just saying what they feel they need to say?
1: I think it's that credibility piece. I think um, for me, sales and marketing is all about demonstrating three things. It's that authority, which is how you talk about what it is that you're doing. Uh, and when I say you, I mean the business or the individual. Uh, the credibility. So like, you know, who else is backing up those statements that you're making? Where's the social proof? Where are the examples? Uh, and then also that empathy piece. So are they connecting with you as a human being? Are they really understanding what are the problems and challenges that you're facing, why you want to um, you know, go to where you want to go in the future? like what are your goals and ambitions and how they can genuinely help you get there? So for me, it's it's not just about what somebody's saying, you know e- externally. It's also about saying, right, okay, so, Yes, they're saying that they sound really good, but why are they saying that? Who've they worked with in the past? And, um, you know, like, where are their credentials? Uh, Because, I mean, I I spent a lot of time getting really frustrated with a lot of um, online courses being thrown at me on Facebook and and places like that by so-called experts. And, you know, my platform of choice has always been LinkedIn because you can see somebody's experience. And you had all these people saying, oh, I'm going to sell you this course to help you be the best at this or to help you sell or to help you market your business or to help you grow a business. And then I'd go to their LinkedIn profiles and I'm like, but you've never run a business. So how can you teach me how to run my business if you've never, never done that? Um, and a lot of marketers as well that were sort of changing direction and repeating stuff that they've learned from other people. Uh, I, th- I think um maybe it's my engineering background that I think I'm a little bit more thorough in how I look at somebody's credentials Uh, and I am a little bit cynical of bold claims when people make them Uh, and I do tend to do my research a little bit before I invest my money in someone (laughs) or something
0: so cynicism has has sort of served you in your business
1: Uh Yes. So I'm going to be I'm going to be honest here because, you know, it's it's a it's a very it's a great podcast. And I, I like the honesty that a lot of your guests bring. But yes, it's served me, but also it's held me back. Um, and the reason for that is that because my industry has a lot of cynicism and negativity towards sales and marketing people, I have let that hold me back and I've let that affect me and stop me moving uh, as fast towards my goals as I would like because I over empathize with my target audience and I'm like all right well I know that they're going to be thinking that marketing is all about you know the the dark side of the force and it's it's all about manipulation and spamming people but really I'm doing this because I genuinely want to help raise the profile of the businesses that need to raise their profile. I'm doing it for the right reasons. And it's only really in the last year or two that I've actually stood up proudly at marketing conferences and said, I'm a marketer. Before that, I'd be like, well, I'm a LinkedIn trainer and um, I'm a strategist and you know, help people with business development. And I'd sort of dance around the subject a little bit. And that affected my authority because I wasn't talking confidently about the thing that I was actually doing. So Yes, I think cynicism has helped me because it's really helped me reach my uh, purpose and it's helped me understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I've also let it hold me back because I've let other people's um, cynicism affect my own attitude. And you just touched on the
0: purpose on why you're doing what you're doing. What is that? What is the why behind your work, Charlie?
1: I I want to help the best people be the best and get in front of the people that they can help the most.
0: And that that sort of various superlatives that you've got there—the best and the most—and and wanting to achieve—is that something that you've always had behind your your sort of personal or professional space?
1: So I'm laughing because um, like I think it's really funny, uh, but I've spoken to a few people about it. that have, have thought it was a bit too negative. Uh, So my dad, he was a a racing driver before he met my mum many years ago. So he used to race Formula Three, Formula Ford, and uh, like with the likes of like Eddie Jordan, Nigel Mansell, and you know those sorts of people that then went on to race Formula One. And he had this thing that he always used to say that if you came second, you were the first of the losers. And there's no point in entering a race unless you're in it to win it or you know, participating in a, in a board game or you know doing anything remotely competitive. So I think I definitely adopted my dad's competitive nature. Um, and just that thing in the back of my mind that was just like, well, if you're gonna go into something, there's no point in just doing it for the hell of it. You wanna be the best. Um, but I never did any sports when I was a kid. So I was 21 before I got into the world of sport. And it was when I lived in Sardinia and i wanted to learn the language and i wanted to meet some people so i joined the local rowing club and i mean i was i was overweight i was a bit of a drunk i was very unfit and i was actually told that i was too fat and too unfit to even get in a boat um which normally that would make me run away thinking well you know i'm I'm just going, I'm not even going to get involved with you. But something in me said, you know what, I really need this. This will be good for me. So I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to get fitter and I'm I'm going to get in that boat. Um, so I did. And it, it just unleashed this like competitive, like monster in me. (laughs) Um, and I loved it. And I think for me, I translated that when I got back into the working world because when I lived in Sardinia, I set up my very first business. Um, my parents both had their own local businesses. So I've always been surrounded by business. Um, I've seen the negative sides of business, um, and all of the things that can go horribly, horribly wrong because of various different reasons. Some, some things that you can avoid yourself, some things that you just can't avoid at all. Um, and, Yeah, I just started reading all about sports performance, because in the rowing world, you and you want to win races. It's not just about spending more time in a boat. Uh, You have to look at your fitness, your strength, your flexibility, your nutrition, your attitude and you don't just work with one coach either. You know, you go uh, and work with a yoga instructor on your flexibility. You'd work with a strength coach to help build strength. You'd work with a rowing coach to help you be more technically competent in the boat. And um, so you'd work with all these different people. You wouldn't try to address everything at the same time. You'd approach one thing at a time, but you'd be very intentional with your approach about it. And when I got back into the world of work, so I, I decided that I'd you know, I didn't want to do the business anymore and I wanted to figure out something else that I wanted to do. And I was offered a job uh, as a marketing assistant for this engineering company. I started to think, right, okay, why does this work really well in sports? And why are we not approaching business in the same way? And then I started poring over books like by like Clive Woodward, who uh, he was a businessman that then, you know, sort of he led the England rugby team to victory. You know, Dale Brailsford, he was a businessman that like really transformed uh, British cycling. Uh, you know, Alex Ferguson, all of these like leadership approaches that have so much crossover between business and sport. And I loved it and I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and then I, I was unfortunately hit by a car. So I was cycling home from work one day and a car hit me on the roundabout, uh, and that stopped me rowing competitively because I really hurt my back. So that took me out of the game, but I didn't want to move away from rowing. And I was offered the opportunity to do a rowing coaching qualification. So that was like my first uh, experience of actually learning how to be a coach, understanding how to make sure you've got the right person in the right seat, uh, how to work with people rather than beat them around the head, uh, wondering why they're not doing what you're asking them to do. Uh, So for me, it's just all about connecting the dots. and. I think having that attitude of high performance and having that attitude of being the best and wanting to do the best by your customers and by your staff and your team, for me, that's like that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. I find it really fascinating, and I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I love the the translation
1: of of sport into the
0: business world. As a fellow competitor rower, I totally get that. You know, so it's it's really important I feel that when you have unleashed this competitive monster that you channel that energy into somewhere and you you found that for you now was it an easy transition or what was sort of what sort of held you back you've you've mentioned earlier of what held you back more recently but what was that transition like
1: really hard it was really hard I think I was very fortunate that I've always worked for and with very understanding, supportive and challenging people. Um, So one of the best things about working for an SME, a small business, is that you can make rapid decisions. And if you see an opportunity to make change or increase the performance of one area of the business, Typically, if you have the right attitude and you, you choose your timing well, you can go and do whatever you want to do. Um, and I was really fortunate because I was always looking for ways that we can make things better, more efficient, uh, more profitable. And, uh, yeah, I just worked for people that were just like, all right, OK, cool. If you if you think you can make impro- improvements, crack on, go for it. But before I did this rowing coaching qualification, I, my approach was Awful. I was a really bad manager. And I didn't understand why people didn't work at the same speed as me. I didn't understand why people didn't think in the same way as me. And one of the reasons why I never became an engineer was because I don't I love having a system, but if I see an opportunity to make an area you know different or optimize something, I can kind of go off in a bit of a tangent and then come back to it, or I'll skip a few steps. Um, and I think more high level rather than in the detail. And I really struggled to get too much into the detail. So I used to think that was a bad thing, but actually it was just because I was doing the wrong degree and I was doing the wrong, you know, training to be the wrong thing. But actually it really helps me because when I work with engineers and when I work with technical people, I know why they're working in that way. Uh, I, you know, I can work with them. And I also know what happens when you work with them in the wrong way because that's how I used to approach it uh, until I learned how to coach and how to bring people with you rather than, you know, force the process. Um, so it was a bit of a rocky transition, but like I said, you know, I did have people around me that, you know, sort of could pull me aside and just sort of say, Charlie, like actually, you know, you're rubbing people up the wrong way here. <laughs> um, you know, maybe rein it in a little bit or like, you know change your approach. and I you know I did directed development programs, I did leadership training programs and and all sorts of things like that. And I think I was just really lucky that I worked for people that supported that development, saw something in me and and helped help me get there uh, rather than just sort of put me in a box somewhere or, or you know sort of try to send me down another path. And
0: what does focus on why mean to you, Charlie?
1: For me, my why has changed so much over the years. Um, So sometimes I think people can... Focus on why a little bit too much, or I think they can use it as a distraction to stop them doing something else. So for me, focus on why is is what's the why in the moment, but having a real intention behind what you're doing and a focus to being the best at that thing at that time. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's great. I
0: mean, it means purpose and why people do what they do it means different things to different people so it's always nice to see you know how you've arrived at what you've arrived and you said you accidentally fell into marketing and that you probably didn't want to make a career out of it and now you know you've built a business around in this particular area
1: yeah it's it's really weird because I mean I've been in business for four and a half years now and I quit my job in um like, uh, possibly in a way that would would terrify most people because I remember um I rang my, my partner at the time and you know like I was the main breadwinner uh like he had his own business uh and it was like a startup and you know had a mortgage to pay and all these things and I was like I don't want to do this anymore I think I can make a bigger impact but I don't know how I don't know why I don't know what I'm actually going to do but I'm in such a high pressure environment right now I don't have the headspace to think or make a plan or or do something with it. Uh, and I remember him saying to me, it's just like, well, like don't make any rash decisions, like really think about this, make a plan and, you know, maybe save up and put some money aside. So we're not, you know, stuffed. Um, and I think I went into work the next day and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Um, so I was just like, right, okay, this is, you know, this is my notice. Um, I, I think I had that confidence that, like whatever I put my mind to, I, you know, I'll make it work. I'll figure it out. Uh, And I did. And I think within my first week I'd secured my first two clients. I didn't have to worry about paying the mortgage. Uh, I think I've always focused on making sure that the business is profitable. Um, I think for me, it's just, what's the point in doing it? If it's not going to be paying you any money, even if it's just a small amount of money to start with. Um, plus, I think the, the other thing that I've realized is that one of the biggest causes of stress in business is the need for money and like operational uh, revenue. If you don't have that money to pay your, you know, your salaries and, you know, pay your operational expenses, then you're putting too much pressure on, you uh, too much pressure on the the people with the responsibility to make it work and then that clouds your judgment it puts you in a negative frame of mind so I think for me it's like cover your bases but then give yourself that time to think creatively and think right okay well actually if I removed all constraints and anything was possible what would I what would I do what could I do and then you know try something if it works then happy days and I think to be honest for the first three, maybe three and a half years of my business, it was all trial and error. It was like, well, people keep asking me how to use LinkedIn because I'd always use that as a sales and marketing channel. Um, so I'll teach people how to use LinkedIn. People keep asking me how to uh, do events and trade shows better. So I'll help them do that. Uh, people keep asking me, uh, like, you know, how to increase the performance of a landing page. So I'll help them do that. You know, people keep asking me all of these things. Um, and like coaching, I've always loved coaching and asking people challenging questions. Uh, I think I've always thought of myself as like a loving boot uh, because I think you need that critical friend in business. You need somebody to say, you know, uh, what if you tried something else? Or like, is this really the the most important thing that you're working on? And especially in sales and marketing, uh, I find that we all get distracted by what everybody else is telling us that we should be doing. And I kind of want to make people make more informed, intelligent decisions based on like most of us know what we need to do. (laughs) Um, You know, more often than not, it's, it's just about removing the noise from around you and helping people focus and be intentional with, um, with their activities and their actions. So yeah, I think, for me, it's just you've got to love what you're doing, but you've got also got to give yourself the flexibility to have those what if conversations uh, and just think, I'm just gonna give it a try. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you you at the beginning you talked about the three things, authority, credibility, and empathy. Now, in your engineering space, was there much scope for you to use empathy? <laughs> um
1: when managing people yes you had to um but also it's it's that understanding behavior and what's really interesting is when I was at school I was um I lost my cousin like she was 30 I was 15 and it, it was a really traumatic period of time in my life and it made me think very differently about people and how they responded to certain things. And I had a very low tolerance to um, people moaning about like little things when in my mind, because of my experiences, there were bigger problems, bigger things to be worrying about. Um, And I think as well, like having reflected on my behavior at that time, it made me look at how other people behaved and I wanted to do psychology and business. Uh, when I went to university, but because I was doing maths and physics and IT, and I was very technical and I, I was super geeky, um, I kind of got funneled into this engineering degree, and I kind of let people influence those decisions. But really, that's that's always been the consistent interest in my life. Is it's what make people what what makes people tick? Because that's like marketing. At the end of the day, is understanding what motivates people and how they behave based on those motivations, then once you know that you reverse engineer the process and put a system in place to help you tap into those motivations and to help get your customers the right solution for them. So it's a combination of uh, behavioral psychology mapped with a process <laughs> and a system. So for me, it's actually the perfect blend. Um, and. It doesn't need to be that complicated and I find a lot of marketers and a lot of trained marketers overcomplicate marketing and confuse people when it's actually really simple.
0: And it's funny because you said earlier about that you're more high level than getting into the detail. And yet, you know, you're just talking about behavioural psychology and the motivations and the underlying currents of what's going on at great detail. So there's that constant sort of flux of moving from one position to the other.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting to say that because that one of the biggest challenges that a lot of um, startups and SMEs face is that they will either start the business and it's very sales driven. So they'll grow the business from doing a lot of prospecting, um, a lot of sort of account management type roles, and then they'll bring a marketer in uh, or they'll outsource it to somebody else. But typically they'll expect one person or one agency to be responsible for the strategy, the implementation, the reporting and the optimization of all of the marketing. Now, Marketing strategy and marketing implementation, it takes a very, very disciplined um, certain type of person to be able to execute on both. And I can do both and I have done both over the course of my career. And I think that's why I've been able to grow and advance my career uh, in in a rapid way, because I think very strategically. But I've also been very process driven so I can do the implementation. And I can, I can follow the steps and and get that done, but I don't enjoy that side of things. I can do it when I need to, but that's not what lights me up. That doesn't, that, that doesn't give me life. That's not my purpose. That's not my, my calling. Yes, I can do it, but it's not actually a great use of my skill set. Whereas a lot of marketers struggle to think strategically and do the implementation so businesses typically end up with a marketer that just wants to be strategic, think creatively, and put together campaign ideas, but they're not very strong in the implementation, or they're really strong on the implementation, but they can't think of the ideas, and they can't look at things and and think, right? Okay, this is how we match this campaign with this motivation, or how we look at the um, the drivers behind it, and what we you know the language that we need to use to really capture the curiosity of our target market and make them then take action as a result. So uh, yeah, I think there's a big challenge there, um, and I think that's kind of where Why I've arrived at where I am now, because I want to help those marketers implement the strategy, but I want to help them with that strategy, with the motivation, with the mentorship. Uh, not just marketers, either business owners that are doing it themselves, because let's face it, more often than not, when we start businesses or we have a startup, it's the business owner that's responsible for all the marketing. Um, or it's a, it's a marketer that's expected to do everything. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> And you mentioned curiosity just then, and
1: it's, it's something that's really important to you, clearly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I realized that the two key things that I stand for, curiosity and the otter, haven't really popped up in what we've been talking about yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So curiosity is is a massive thing because I believe that your curiosity is your superpower and can enable you to do whatever you want in life. Um I think as kids, we're naturally curious and the adults kind of try to knock it out of us at whatever age. And, you know, I went to a very unsupportive school. Um, You know, I was always being told off for asking too many questions in class. I was always the person that wanted to know why we were learning what we were learning and how we could apply that in real life rather than just in the classroom. And I never got the answers that I was looking for. And then I think when I applied that curiosity in the workplace, I then realized that actually it's not about asking questions or it's not about asking more questions. It's about asking the right questions that get you the answer that you need to move forward. Um, So, yeah, for me, curiosity is such an important thing because when I've applied it in marketing, it's allowed me to change campaigns that instead of just run, They work, they function because you understand more about the people that you're targeting. You know, you're asking them questions about what motivates them. You're not making assumptions. And I think it's that like, so I can't remember which comedian came up with it. It's like, they say, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me and in sales and marketing, we make assumptions every single day. Um, whereas if you channel your curiosity to ask the right questions, you remove those assumptions and you start marketing based on, you know, informed, you know, real data and real information. So for me, curiosity really is the key um, <laughs> to unlocking, uh, like, real sales results, like proper revenue and profits into the business. Because yeah, it's for me, it's not about doing more; it's about doing less but better. It's not about asking more questions, it's about asking the right questions and actually putting yourself out there as well. So give us an example of, of a, a great question to be asking yourself, Charlie. To be asking yourself. <laughs> well, um, one of the questions to ask yourself is it's exactly what this podcast is all about. Like, why, why are you doing this in the first place? It's a question I love to ask business owners because it really helps you get to the root of... Um, what needs to go in the messaging. So like, why, why have you chosen to sell this particular product or service to this particular market? Why do you care? And when you can get that information out and put that into your marketing, that helps you stand out over and above the competition because you're not just connecting to, you're not just putting out a message, you're connecting to an individual within that business or you're connecting to a business. So, you know, the the essence of this podcast is is your greatest question. Yeah, well, I, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. But I think on a, on a more practical level, because everybody's just like, yeah, 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 you're just saying that because you're on the podcast and it, it's the first thing that came to mind. But a really powerful question to ask your audience is like, you know, what is your biggest challenge or frustration when it comes to doing X, Y and Z? And the real key, especially because I talk about being, uh, you know, intentionally curious and, and asking better questions, is to be really, really specific about the end part of that question. So, for example, when I started my business, I like I do a lot of LinkedIn training. So even today, I still do a lot of LinkedIn training, as well as like marketing strategy um, and performance coaching. And then I started asking this question. So, when it comes to using LinkedIn, what is your biggest challenge or frustration? Or what is your biggest challenge or frustration when it comes to using LinkedIn? And I used to get all sorts of different responses um, about recruitment, about sales, about marketing, about personal branding, about profiles, about messaging, about Sales Navigator. The list can go on. So I thought, wow, this is this this is loads of information. I don't know what to do with this. Or this is going to take me take me ages. You want to be as specific as possible. So I thought, right, okay, what? what do I genuinely want to help people doing on LinkedIn? I want to help people get more sales on LinkedIn. Okay. So what is your biggest challenge or frustration when it comes to getting sales on LinkedIn? So immediately I'm reframing that question to really hit to the real crux of the problem. So the responses are all in line with why do people, like what is stopping people winning more sales on LinkedIn? Um, So yeah you kind of it's all about asking very specific questions so your audience isn't just giving you generic responses they're not just giving you lip service um but actually they're, they're really telling you things that you can go away and use and when you use that in your marketing again you're connecting on a much more personal level and you are genuinely adding value with your marketing you're genuinely helping building that trust and building that that credibility as well
0: And I love that we sort of come full circle back to that credibility again, which is where we started, you know, and working very much with who you want to work with and being selective of of your clients and and who you want to improve and, and better their approaches. What's next? What's on the agenda for you, Charlie? What are you heading towards?
1: So I developed a framework and this framework is called Otter. O T T E R, it's an acronym. Uh, and it's it's been a bit of an adventure to develop this framework. And I've loved every moment because when, when I was working as a marketer within a business, I used to get stung by marketing agencies. I used to make mistakes that were really painful and uh, not just hurt me and my pride, but also helped hurt the business because it lost us money or it, you know, it, it went a bit wrong. And the more business owners that I've spoken to over the last, you know, sort of 10, 15 years, even knowing my mum and dad like years ago, is that I want to help people avoid marketing injury, which is, you know, that those those painful things that happen to us along the way. And this framework was developed as a way to stop those injuries happening. And I've evolved it over the years. So, in terms of what's next for me, having worked with a lot of companies over the last few years, to implement this framework with them, to get them using it on a day-to-day basis. I want to get the Otter framework in the hands of as many business owners and as many marketers as possible so that they're avoiding these, these painful marketing injuries and that they're actually able to move forwards in a much more intentional, less painful, less overwhelmed, less frustrated way. Makes sense.
0: I'm sold. <laughs> again,
1: again, I'm in. Share with us what the Otter acronym stands for. Uh, so Otter stands for O, objectives. So you know where to focus your time, your energy and your money. Uh, T, tools. So you know what you need to use in order to achieve your objectives. T, training, so you're understanding where the gaps in your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and also your confidence lie, because confidence is a real blocker for success. Um, E, expectations, so you know that you are giving as much time, energy, and money to achieving those objectives as you can and as you need to, but also you are aligning your expectations with anybody else that is also involved in helping you achieve those objectives. And then R stands for review and reflect, so that you're not just keep doing the same things over and over and over again and hoping for the best. That you're actually reviewing what you're doing, so you can constantly look at right, what's working well, where can we make improvements, what's not working well, like what do we need to say no to next time, or uh, what do we need to sort of like try a different approach. So yeah, objectives, tools, training, expectations, and review. Well, you you seem to have managed
0: to. I think it was Oscar Wilde who who said about the you make an ass out of you and me, and you've just sort of, sort of quoted Einstein with his definition of insanity of doing the same thing over and over again. So we've had quite a, a, a breadth of, of various inspirations coming through again with the Woodford, Brailsford, and, and Ferguson biographies, and incredible results that all three of those people have achieved in sport and taken it into the business world because it it is a a fantastic metaphor for how we can pull together. I mean, there's the, the, the whole, how do we get the boat to, to go faster? That whole story as well. So yeah, it's that tiny few percent that will make all the difference. Charlie, you've brought to us your curiosity and I guess your credibility and your cynicism, but in different <laughs> amounts. It's been really great. But also your empathy and and absolutely, without a doubt, your authority. So thank you so much. How would people get to contact you? What's the best way for them to reach out?
1: The best way is LinkedIn. I spend the majority of my time on LinkedIn, uh, having conversations with people. And I also think that if you're going to connect with somebody on LinkedIn, have a conversation with them, uh, because it's those conversations that lead to incredible things. Um, So, yes, LinkedIn is the best way to contact me. I'm also on Twitter. So Charlie underscore Wyman on Twitter and uh, via my website, uh, curiousb2bmarketing.com. Well, I I always say that life is
0: all about the people you meet and what you do and what you create with them. So, yes, get curious and get out there now and and catch up with Charlie on LinkedIn because it's a cool place to hang out. It seems to be. (laughs) Charlie, again, thank you so much for coming on Focus on Why.
1: How would you like to leave the audience today? Uh, I would just like to leave by saying um, it's not about doing more. It's about doing less, but better.
0: Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.